0: Duke Energy offers these tips for understanding your bill. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills are for 30 days, but there are times when the billing cycle is shorter or longer. If there are more days in the bill, it could be higher. And if you have a smart meter, check online to see if a daily usage analysis tool is available. Smart meters collect usage information by the hour, so checking spikes throughout the month, by the day, and even the hour can show what appliances and behaviors are increasing your bill. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling 1-800-521-2232. Hi, this is Shane Ray, the host of Central Indiana Today. We've got a great show for you this week. I'm going to start off by talking with Julie McLaughlin of Indiana Skunk Rescue. Yes, you heard me right. Indiana Skunk Rescue. In case you didn't know that existed, it does. And also uh, Jay Daniel, our good friend Jay Daniel. You might remember we talked to him a couple of months ago about his new book about the Phillies. Well, now he's going to be doing the interviewing, and he's talking with Doug Wilson, the author of the Ernie Banks book called Let's Play 2. But first things first, let's get that intro music going.
1: Duke Energy presents Central Indiana Today. Shane Ray talks with
0: the newsmakers in and around Hendricks County. And now your host... Shane Ray. Welcome to another edition of Central Indiana Today. Of course, my name is Shane Ray. I'm talking with Julie McLaughlin. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. All right. Uh, Now, she has a very unique story, I guess, is the best way to say it. And you may have seen her around at some events. Well, she has one coming up February 10th. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a bit. First off, how's Julie?
2: I'm doing good. How
0: are you? I am just dandy. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Now, You're here for a unique reason. Tell us what it is that you do.
2: I run Indiana Skunk Rescue. I'm the only rescue in the United States that can help both domesticated and wild skunks. And if you have a problem with a wild skunk, just give me a call. Baby season will be here in a couple months, so you may be finding some little baby skunks that their mother has passed away A lot of times their mother gets ran over by a car or the people accidentally kill the mothers and Mm -hmm. then they find babies a few days later. Or if you're trying to trap a possum or a raccoon, I run into that a lot. Then you go out to your trap and there's a skunk in there and Mm -hmm. you don't want to walk up and open up the door. (laughs) I will come do that for you.
0: Yeah. Uh, explain to us what what made you decide uh, that skunks were something you wanted to get involved in
2: i had wanted a skunk for as long as i can remember and i'm not young yeah and (laughs) what happened my mother and my father you know skunks carry rabies and they'll attack you and there's all these horrible myths with skunks Mm -hmm. and honestly we've all been lied to that's not true about them at all it takes a tremendous amount of effort to get a skunk to spray You have to petrify it, and then it will stomp and stomp, and every little hair on its entire body will stand up, and it'll snort. It'll run backwards. All you have to do is walk away. Mm -hmm. Now, if you keep walking towards them and you keep messing with them, once they turn into a you, you're done. You can't get away. They can spray like 15 feet, and you're going to get sprayed.
0: Jeez.
2: But I finally remembered, because you can only buy a domesticated skunk. It's illegal to own a wild one. Nobody go get a wild one. You'll get in tons of trouble with DNR. You can only buy them in June and July. Well, I had children. Then I had grandchildren. And in June and July, it's really busy for parents. Mm -hmm. Well, I finally remembered like three years ago. So I went out and I bought my first domesticated skunk. He was blind. He was born blind. I joined all these Facebook groups, and I seen that people were getting skunks as babies because they're so cute. I mean, they'll fit in your hand when you buy them. They're teeny tiny. And then they didn't know what to do with them, or they figured out that when they're little, you have to feed them four times a day. Well, they weren't home to feed them four times a day. Now, Mm -hmm. as an adult, they only eat twice a day. And you can give them snacks if you want to. Mm -hmm. Or they're only legal in 17 states. So they would get transferred, and they couldn't take their skunk with them. So they needed some place to rehome their domesticated skunk at. Hmm. So I started this rescue for domesticated skunks and thought, well, if I'm doing that, I might as well do wild ones, thinking there wouldn't be very many wild ones. My phone rings off the hook with wild, over wild skunks. I had mm-hmm. no idea they needed the help that they do.
0: That, that was my next question was how often do you get a call for something involving a wild skunk?
2: In the last two weeks, I've only had three. Over the summertime, there were times eight a day. Wow. Yeah, and most of them was just letting loose from a trap. They didn't care if they stayed there. They just accidentally caught a skunk and was petrified to walk up and open up that trap. Mm. And I don't blame them because one sprayed and I stepped in it. It had sprayed before I got there, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know that I stepped in it. (laughs) I couldn't get in my car for three months.
0: Now, what do you do about uh, that scent once it gets on you or even around you?
2: there's it's in a white bottle with black lettering and it's called skunk off and that pretty much instantly takes it away or you can use peroxide i know it says mix peroxide with baking soda and don dish soap mm-hmm. but just straight peroxide will take the smell out
0: okay now you're saying uh that uh you you have domestic ones yourself correct
2: yes i have three as pets
0: okay Now, explain what daily life is with having three skunks in your house. So what's it?
2: (laughs) It'd really be no different, honestly, than having three dogs or three cats. Mm -hmm. And they sleep in bed with us. They use a litter box. They come when they're called. They follow you around the house. They get on your schedule, even though wild skunks are nocturnal. Mm. When I go to bed, I tell everybody to go to bed. They go to bed. They sleep with us. Um... It's really no different than any other pet.
0: Okay, now what? I know one question everyone's probably wondering: What do you feed a skunk?
2: They eat vegetables. They can have a little bit of fruit after they're nine months old, but not very much. They eat all dairy products. Hmm,
0: I never would have thought.
2: Yeah,
3: <laughs>
0: and,
2: and then it, for meat, they eat chicken, turkey, fish, okay. tuna.
0: Now, and as far as being playful. Are they similar to cats or dogs?
2: They play with cat toys, and they'll chase you around the house because they have no idea they can't spray. It's hilarious. (laughs) And they'll stomp and stomp and take off running for you to chase them, and then they chase you. But for the most part, they're really lazy.
0: Okay. Very,
2: very lazy animals.
0: Oh, all right. And uh, now, obviously, I've never touched one. I assume the fur is just... uh, soft or is it very coarse what are we talking it looks about
2: here? really coarse like a terrier dog yeah. but it is super soft okay and it's water repellent like if you poured a glass of water on them it's like you rain next them yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> that must make bath time yeah. fun
2: oh it does i had to give one a bath today and oh, okay. yeah you have to put the fur all up the opposite way and keep pouring water
0: <laughs> all right now you uh the if um well, we'll get to contact information in just a bit, but like I said, Sunday, February tenth tell us what's going on
2: I'm super excited about that We're having an animal rescue and craft vendor event at the Hendricks county fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. It is Sunday, February tenth from ten o'clock a m until six p m and the craft vendors it's really nice it's not direct sales mm-hmm. it is what you would see like out at park county cover bridge okay. it's all handcrafted items and most of the people are from Hendricks county and boone county
0: and what what all are we going to see there as far as for the animals
2: i will have skunks there there'll be bulldogs there'll be frenchies there's going to be cats and then mixed breed dogs
0: now, are these for display only? Or are they going to be available for adoption? What are we...
2: I have one skunk mean. available for adoption. Okay. Um, everybody else, it, they're all adoptable. Okay. But I can't... I don't know exactly what they're bringing.
0: Gotcha. So there will be other... Uh, folks bringing other animals there and stuff like that. These aren't just dogs that you're taking care of or cats or whatever. I don't do
2: dogs or cats.
0: Okay, you don't have those at all. Okay, you stick strictly with skunks.
2: Yes, I can do any Indiana wildlife mammals. So if you, like I had deer last year. I had possums. I had bunnies. I just specialize in skunks. But as far as domestic animals, I only do skunks.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about, uh, for the kids, there's also going to be, what, face painting? Yes. Okay. And, of course, they're obviously going to enjoy seeing all those animals. What right. kid doesn't? Right. They shouldn't be there if they don't, right? right? <laughs> um, oh, also, um, there will be some microchip going on?
2: Yes. We have $10 microchips, which you will not find them cheaper than that anywhere. And we have low-cost vaccinations,
0: and are Now, do you guys do the vaccinations? Can you do that? Or will it be one of the... No,
2: it'll be a licensed vet. It's okay. Monroe Animal Hospital. Okay. She's coming out and she's doing the vaccinations. And then Well Pet Clinic is doing the microchips.
0: Okay, excellent. Now, if folks want more information about what you do or even more information about the event, is there a Facebook page or a website or a phone number or something they can...
2: There's a Facebook page and a website, and they both are Indiana Skunk Rescue.
0: Okay. And that's where, just out of curiosity, I haven't been to the Facebook page, but you have photos of all your skunks there?
2: Pretty much, yes.
0: (laughs) Do you catch them in like, uh, uh like they do with the cat videos and stuff like that, do you ever have, have them doing funny stuff or No,
2: honestly, I've been really bad with my Facebook page <laughs> and I and with the web page, the web page every there's pictures and stuff on there. but I'm so busy taking care of them mm-hmm. and trying to put this show on and answering questions and phone calls and emails that I don't have a lot of time to update Man. my Facebook page. Man. Like I have a rescue now. I haven't even listed it, and I've mm. had it a week and a half. I have um, two that I went and saved from being frozen, warmed them up, took them back.
0: Wow.
2: Yes, I just don't pat myself on my own back. I, I feel like that's <laughs> kind of yeah. – I do it because it's to help them right. not to post Look it. how wonderful
0: I am type yes, of thing. Yes,
2: not to post it online. And be like, oh, my gosh, you're so great. You're doing this and that. Mm -hmm. I just want to take care of the skunks.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. So what do they need to search for once again?
2: Indiana Skunk Rescue.
0: All right. That's uh, Julie McLaughlin, and uh, she's uh, from right here in Hendricks County. And uh, if you have an emergency or some kind of situation with a skunk or even just have questions, they just need to uh, contact you through Facebook. Is that the best way? Yes, or email or call. Okay. Okay. What's the email address? Julie C. McLaughlin at gmail.com. All right, there you go. And, of course, if you missed that information, uh, you can give us a call here at the radio station at 317-852-1610. If I don't know the answer, I'll get you in touch with Julie, and she'll help you out as soon as possible, right? Yes. All right, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. And now we're going to turn the interview mic over to Jay Daniel to talk about the new book, about
1: Ernie Banks. Jay? I'm pleased to welcome Doug Wilson to the show to Central Indiana today. Doug is an ophthalmologist in Columbus, Indiana, and the author of multiple books, including biographies of Mark Fidrich, Brooks Robinson, and Carlton Fisk, as well as a book about Fred Hutchinson and the 1964 Cincinnati Reds. His latest book, due out February 15th, is called Let's Play Two The Life and Times of Ernie Banks. Doug joins us to talk, discuss the Cubs legend and one of the most popular Chicago athletes ever. Doug, how are things?
3: I'm pretty good. Uh, thanks for inviting me.
1: Thanks for coming on. I, we really appreciate it, and uh, it's it's been an interesting uh, an interesting way. One of the things that I, I noticed when you first told me about this book was I was kind of surprised that nobody had really written a definitive biography of of Banks um, recently, at least. So for someone as... Kind of famous and, and beloved as he was, especially in the city of Chicago, it seems like he kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. Why do you think that is, and, and what made you personally decide to, to tackle this project?
3: Um, well, you're exactly right. Uh, there's never really been a complete dedicated biography to Ernie's whole life. And uh, I think the main reason is that. Uh, because his public image was so good and so positive that unfortunately people just plugged him into that notch and and that's all they uh, ever let him become and so they they felt like he was bland you know mr cub let's play two. everything's always positive with him and 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 that was it which unfortunately there there's a whole lot more to the ernie Banks story and and he kind of gets shortchanged and that was one of the reasons i wanted to Write this book, especially to show the this generation and the future generations uh, two things: exactly how good he was as a player, which I think sometimes gets obscured by his image, and the other is the the, the complete story of Ernie Banks, which I think is pretty fascinating. Looking at where he come from, where he came from, the challenges challenges that he faced, and and how he overcame those, and and kept his dignity in in the face of a lot of uh, those challenges.
1: So, I mean, it sounds almost like it's, it was maybe a situation where nobody wanted to tackle an Ernie Banks biography because they figured that everybody knew Ernie Banks and knew everything there was to know. And obviously once you, and then you sort of took another look at it and said, well, actually, that's not really the case. I mean, obviously with, with some of these guys, we never really know them and I think that's something that you touched on too is the fact that Ernie Banks had this public image and you talked about it that the Let's Play 2 and this this you know benevolent guy and and you one of the things you wanted to look into was was that the real Ernie Banks
3: yeah exactly a lot of people uh, a lot of his contemporaries felt you know this guy's just too good to be true he's got to be putting on an act it's got to be fake and and over the years uh, that's come up sometimes and and what I found is is that uh, he was remarkably consistent Um, even when he was young I I was lucky enough to talk to several guys who grew up with him in Dallas they said everybody got along with Ernie Ernie never had any fights never uh, really had any arguments as a kid, he got along with everybody and uh, there's very little uh, anecdotes or accounts of him ever breaking character in public uh, you know and, and and obviously, some of that was a an act, but he chose to put on that act every day when he got up and headed out the door, no matter what kind of problems he was having in in life, money, money uh, you know playing for a losing team, no matter what he was facing. He chose to put on a positive face, and that 's all he ever showed in public
1: did Did you get a sense that that was in talking the research that you did and in talking to the people that you did that that was difficult for him? I mean, how much of a sense did you get that that, I mean, you talked about, you know, a persona or whatever, but I mean, it, again, I guess it's kind of the same question, but it just seems like obviously for anyone who lives a daily life, right, which most of us do, um, you, you know, you you have things that you run up against that can put you in a bad mood, and it seemed like I mean, you, you never heard you never hear people tell the story about the time they met Ernie Banks and he was a jerk.
3: Yeah, exactly, and I think it's uh, extremely difficult. Um, you know, I would love to go out and, and be happy all the time. And you know, he made people feel good, and he went out of his way to make people feel good. You know, he never turned down an argument, and I mean, an autograph. And, and a lot of the people I talked to who, who got his autograph as kids, and uh, you know, they said it wasn't just an autograph. He made eye contact. He asked about how's your team doing? Do you playing little league this year? Are you hitting any home runs? You know, he made it personal. When they walked away, they felt like he was their best buddy. And that takes effort. Uh, you know, some of the players that I talked to, you know, said they would, they would be sitting on the bus waiting and said, Come on, honey, you know, we got to go. And then they felt they said, You know, I wish I could be that way. You know, but you can't. Just for one day to be that way takes a lot of effort. So, you know, I think he was a basically a good guy with a good heart. He tried to do the right things. But that takes an enormous amount of effort. To be that way all the time. There's there's no accounts, and y- you know you, you can go on the internet and look, and people always put stories and stuff. There's no accounts of of Ernie Banks ever saying uh, "Beat it, kid." You know, get out of here. Yeah. I don't have time for an autograph. It it just didn't happen.
1: So, getting back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, we mentioned about kind of no one. Delving into his life and, and how he sort of fell through the cracks. We, I mean, you had talked too about the fact that he kind of fell through the cracks at the beginning of his career, too. He wasn't a guy that had a lot of, you know, people chasing him around. I mean, was he overlooked as a younger player?
3: Um, I'm not sure it was necessarily overlooked. And you know, the thing is, he, he was part of the second generation. You know, Jackie Robinson and them, uh, the Monty Irvins, the Larry Dobies, they had laid the groundwork. Uh, for the integration of baseball, but it was still the early days when when Ernie signed with the Cubs, um, still about two-thirds of the teams hadn't integrated yet, and so there were certainly a lot of teams that scouted players in the Negro Leagues in those days, and the scouts looked for uh, excuses not to sign them, and, uh, you know, look, looking through some of the scouting reports on Ernie that teams said, well, he doesn't have a good arm, or yeah, he's not going to hit a major league curveball. You know, some people said the same things about Willie Mays. And so I think some of the scouts wanted those guys to fail. Uh, the other thing is, Ernie played as a teenager. He played his first year with the Kansas City Monarchs, and then he got drafted. So he was in the Army for two years, and, and uh, he had been really good his first year, 1950, with the Monarchs, but he uh, maybe fell off the radar uh, from some teams during those two years but it, it was immediately apparent when he came back he was a little bigger a little stronger his personality was a little more forceful he was the best player in the negro leagues in 1953 uh, hit near 400 the whole season he uh, everybody said he was the best player in the all-star game that year and so by that time some teams were sniffing around but still uh, you know everybody basically had a chance at him all they had to do was come up with the uh, the money, and, and the Cubs, you know, they paid $25,000 for him and a, a minor league pitcher. So, you know, the Cubs got him relatively cheap, um, uh, but they, you know, they knew what they were getting. They had sent at least six or seven scouts out to see him, and, and you wonder how many scouts and checkers and recheckers they sent out for everybody else that they signed. But So they, they knew what they were getting.
1: Yeah, because
3: the other thing, too, to remember is he stepped directly from the Kansas City Monarchs to the Chicago Cubs. You know, he, He's one of the very few guys that ever went directly from the Negro Leagues to the Majors. Uh, Jackie Robinson, uh, again, Monty Irvin, Larry Doby, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, all of them spent a little bit of time in the minors. But uh, Ernie played his last game with the Monarchs, got on a plane. The next day, he suited up with the Cubs. Two days later, he was in the lineup. Wow. So, uh, you know, that they they had to have felt he was going to be pretty good to, to let him do that.
1: Yeah, I think that's $25,000 well spent on behalf of the Cubs at that
3: point. Pretty good deal.
1: So one of the things that I was looking back at is is you sort of, in that era, I think Ernie probably gets overshadowed a little bit, as much as 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 many people. It's not, not that people don't know who he is, obviously, but I mean, in that era, you're t- It's tough to find room to to compare yourself when you're competing with Mantle and Mays and Aaron and Musial and Ted Williams and so many other stars. I mean, I think looking back on it. You certainly, you could make a case that he could have been Rookie of the Year and perhaps should have been Rookie of the Year in 1954. And from there, he was kind of off and running for the rest of the decade in the 1950s. Talk about, you know, the impact that he had as a player in the 1950s.
3: Well, uh, yeah, you know, he came up to the Cubs in September of '53. He he played the final ten games of the year that year, hit over 300. And so when he came back the next year in spring training, he just blew everybody away. And so he was a starter from day one. He actually played every single game his rookie season. Uh, Really only only missed a couple of innings his entire rookie season and barely got nipped out. Wally Moon of the Cardinals did hit over 300, had 79 RBIs. So, yeah, you could make a case either way. But Ernie's second season, as a 23-year-old, he hit 44 home runs. And the National League record at the time for home runs by a shortstop was 23. Ernie hit that by early July, so he just blew away every shortstop that had ever played as far as power hit. Um, and, and even until the steroid era, the top five slots for most home runs in a season by a shortstop, the top five were all by Ernie Banks. Hmm. So guys, his in the 50s you were right there were a lot of great players but by the end of the 50s um, you look at some of the articles in the sporting news and things like that they were touting Ernie as the next best chance to beat Babe Ruth's record uh, oh, the last five years of the 50s from nineteen fifty-five 55 to 1960 Ernie Banks had more home runs and RBIs than anybody in baseball you know 15 more than Mickey Mantle but, 25 more than Willie Mays you know nobody was really close to him over that period and the fact that he was putting that production up as a serviceable shortstop is just phenomenal so and, and you know remember he, he was the MVP 1958-59 so he certainly um, got his due people recognized how good he was
1: it, yeah it is amazing to put up those that's one of the things I'd written down and but I mean to to put up those kinds of numbers as a shortstop, I mean, in a sense, he, he became maybe that, that prototype for the offensive shortstop that we really kind of didn't see until, you know, maybe a guy like Cal Ripken came along, um, you know, in 1982. I mean, he was really sort of the the trailblazer in that, in a sense. Would you agree with that? or?
3: Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and that's, you know, another thing, unfortunately, this generation thinks, well, Cal Ripken revolutionized shortstop. He is the big power hit shortstop. You know, Cal Ripken never hit uh, over 33 home runs in a season. He was 34. That was it. You know, Ernie hit 40 home runs five times. So, uh, you know, Ernie was a much better, and Cal Ripken was quite a bit bigger than Ernie. So, you know, he set the standard as the big shortstop, but um, you're exactly right. You know, before Ernie came along, shortstops were uh, characteristically guys named Pee Wee and Scooter, right. uh, you know, feisty little guys, good gloves, uh, peppery talk in the infield, leaders, but you know, if they hit three or four home runs a year, people were happy about it, and so uh, you know, Ernie certainly set the standard, and, and really into the 60s, uh, you know, Dick Grote had a few good years hitting, he was never a power hitter. Rico Petroselli hit 40 home runs for the Red Sox in 1970 uh Petricelli, you know, had some pop but uh, you know, in the, in the in the seventies, you know, David Concepcion was probably the best hit in shortstop uh, uh you know, for the Reds he, he would get fifteen homers a year sometimes, but that you know, it was really until Ernie was thirty years ahead of his time as far as that goes. So
1: the the big thing, Ernie, obviously, a huge presence in Chicago. Um, and later in his career, he dealt with another huge personality, and Leo DeRocher, who was manager of the Cubs in the 60s. Leo, a guy who famously had good relationships, at least from a baseball standpoint, with Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays. Um, but the same really can't be said for his relationship with Ernie Banks. So what can you tell us about the dynamic between those two guys?
3: Well, it, it was the classic matchup. Uh, you know, Leo DeRocher literally was the guy that said nice guys finish last, and Ernie Banks was the nice guy in baseball, so you couldn't have had a better setting with two personalities like that And, and of course, Leo had to be the number one top dog he was the ultimate alpha male in every situation and so when he came to the Chicago Cubs, he looks on his bench and there's a guy named after the team, Mr. Cub, looking back at it and uh so there was some jealousy there that Leo just didn't like to share this limelight. The other thing, though, is Leo loved small ball. He loved hitting and running, bunting, stealing, and and at that point in the career, Ernie just couldn't do that. You know, he had had a lot of bad problems with his knees, and and uh, you know he just couldn't run. And so Leo wanted to get rid of him right off the bat, trade him for some quick guys, like he said. And, and uh, basically, the owner, Wrigley, just told him, you know, your chance of trading Ernie Banks depends on the weather. You know, just in case hell does freeze over, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. So Leo, uh, he figured, I can't trade this guy, I can't bench him, I'm just going to try to shame him off the field. And so Leo was merciless the first couple years, um, always criticizing Ernie um, to, in front of the players, to the press. Kept telling the press, you know, knock this Mister Cub stuff off, quit, quit saying that. And 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 I think it revealed Ernie's character that he just took it all and and never once said anything back. He would just sit next to him. He would go out of his way to sit next to Leo on the bench, always with a smile on his face. Years later, you know, he said that, you know, just kill him with kindness. That's all he did. And and no matter what Leo did to him, the reporters would go to Ernie and try to get him to say something bad about Leo. You know, reporters love to have controversies, you know, makes print space, but every, after a while, Ernie would answer every single question. The first sentence would be, Leo DeRosa the greatest manager I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and he said that so often that Billy Williams, Ron Santo, and those guys would start snickering when they heard it, because they knew what Ernie, er, sure. what Ernie was doing, but he just would not be drawn into a conflict. And, uh, you know, he took the high road, and Leo tried to bench him three or four times, and uh, Ernie just always came back. And, and and finally, Leo accepted him, and Ernie had three or four good years after that.
1: It says a lot about, about DeRocher and about Banks that DeRocher comes in to Chicago in his first order of business, is to try to run the franchise out of town. And, and the fact that Banks then just says, fine, you, you go do your thing and I'm going to go do mine. It's really pretty amazing.
3: What well, Did you well, uncover any, Go, ho- go first ahead. First and foremost, he wanted to win. And he had in his idea how to win. And so, uh, you know, and, and some people thought race may have played a factor, but you're exactly right about Willie Mays, Jackie Robinson. Leo can't be said he was a racist. He was an equal opportunity hater. You know, he hated everybody who stood, he, or felt that stood between him and women.
1: Did you uncover any surprises in your research? Was there anything that you came across where you were kind of going, wow, that's amazing, I'd never heard that story before?
3: Um, well, uh, one of the big things that I, I, surprised me is, you know, in this generation, we don't really appreciate what people went through in the 30s and 40s, and, you know, times were hard back in the old days, and, you know, nowadays everybody's got a, a big screen and a cell phone and all that. It, it was amazing to me listening to the guys who grew up with Ernie talk about how poor they were, how rough they had it. You know, he, he grew up in Dallas, which at the time Jim Crow uh, was the law of the land. Everything was 100% segregated, and uh, and and Ernie was one of 12 kids, and so you know they were very very poor. The, uh, you know, they, Ernie was one of only three of the 12 that actually got to finish high school. They, they all had to work, uh, do things to help support the family. And, and so he faced a lot of adversity uh, growing up, and, um, you know, he, he kind of filed that away. And he, and he never really would talk about it. You know, I, I went through hundreds of interviews uh, that Ernie gave, you know, from his first day in the majors to, you know, the year before he died and and he never really told that you won't get that story unless you talk to the guys that grew up with him you know he he always like would like to say well we didn't know we were poor and, you know things were rough but we were okay but you know listen to those guys i mean if he didn't know he was poor he was the only one <laughs> as they uh he said really didn't have very much
1: fascinating story just just an amazing guy let's play two the Life and Times of Ernie Banks will be released on February 15th. And our guest has been the author, Central Indiana Zone, Doug Wilson. Doug, thanks so much for your time and best of luck with the book.
3: Well, thank you. And thanks again for inviting me.
0: You've been listening to Central Indiana Today with your host, Shane Ray. This program has been sponsored by Duke Energy. Duke Energy offers these tips for understanding your bill. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills are for 30 days, but there are times when the billing cycle is shorter or longer. If there are more days in the bill, it could be higher. Look at average kilowatt hour uses per day. At first glance, your bill may look higher, but if your average use is similar to the same time last year or in a month with similar extreme temperatures, it's a normal bill. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling 1-800-521-2232.